0: Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. So uh, the dog and the duck there were unlikely friends, kind of like Dave Decker and I, okay? Okay. Kind of the same way. He's from up north or I'm from here. His sport teams stink. Mine are all excellent. You know, jokes are not funny. Mine are, kind of stuff like that. But very unlikely. But is anybody speaking of that, does anybody know what today is other than August the 2nd and Sunday? Nobody knows? It's a a holiday today. Did you know that? Really? Nobody knows. Did you know today is National Friendship Day? Did you know that? Yeah, the first Sunday of August every year is National Friendship Day. So today's a great day to begin this new series we're starting called You've Got a Friend in Me as little Claire was singing to us. Wasn't she great? That's incredible. So we're going to be exploring in this series different types of friendships in the Bible. We're going to pull out five different friendships in the Bible, and we're going to look at how God used those friendships to overcome obstacles today. We're going to be talking about that, to build close relationships next week, uh, to mentor others, to strengthen their faith, and in the last week, we're going to learn how to move past disagreements. So hopefully, you'll commit to being here these five weeks, and we'll dive into that stuff um, together. So ultimately, we want God to use our friendships to bring glory to himself. And so maybe there's somebody you've been talking with for months now, or maybe somebody you've been praying for, a family member or a friend, you're like, man, I would just love to get them to come to church. Well, now's the time to invite them. It looks like some of you have done that. I think Dave, or Chad said we'd give out six visitor gifts already today. So if this is your first time with us, we want you to know we're glad you're here, that you've walked into a safe place. I don't know what your church experience has been like in the past, maybe not so good, but uh, we want you to know that this is a safe place to come just as you are. And we not only say that, like a lot of churches do, but we really mean that. Just come as you are. God loves you just like you are with all your junk, with everything in your past, We all have a past, and Opie put it uh, when he was doing the announcements very clearly. You know, we're all in the same boat, so we're glad you're here, and we're going to get started this morning uh, with these scriptures here that are going to change our lives. I'm praying. So, now listen: there are different levels of friendships, but we all need people around us uh, to encourage us, to reinforce, and to celebrate victories with us. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 4:10. That if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, man, they're in real, real trouble. So we're going to talk about several people in the Bible uh, who were friends on very, various different levels. Today, we're going to begin with Ruth and Naomi who were very unlikely. Uh, it was very unlikely for them to become friends, kind of like the, the duck and the dog there. The chances of this type of friendship forming, not very good, given their family roles, as we'll learn here in just a moment. But if you have a Bible, you can open it to the eighth book, the book of Ruth, or if you have a Bible app, you can follow along, or if you want to just follow along, the verses will be up on the screen. You can look at them on there as well. So this story teaches us that, listen, God is not just a God of awesome power, which he is, but that he cares about everyday, normal people like you and I. And that he uses ordinary, everyday circumstances to accomplish his will. And as we study this friendship of Ruth and Naomi, I hope that you and I will learn some lessons that will deepen our appreciation for the people who mean the most to us in our lives. So let's jump right in with Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Bible says this, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons, Malon and Kilion. Now, when I was six years old, my mother made a huge decision. She loaded up my sister and I, and we moved from little Knot, Kentucky, uh, which was our hometown to Carson, California, which was her hometown, a city in Los Angeles County, 13 miles south of downtown L.A., and that move had a major impact on my life. I mean, I learned such things as uh, gang violence. You know, everybody needs to learn that. I learned how to make wonderful art pictures on other people's property, called graffiti. Um, that was something I needed. And then I also, believe it or not, I learned what it felt like to be a minority. Racially speaking, I was only uh, one of a handful of white kids in my elementary school, grades one through six. But it was a huge decision to move across the country. Well, Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they made a huge decision to move 100 miles from Bethlehem to Moab to escape a famine that was going on in the land. And that was a surprising move. Because the Moabites had often been enemies of Israel. So they're kind of going into enemy territory. Well, they weren't there very long in Moab before tragedy struck. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And Naomi, all of a sudden, is just a grieving widow. But her sons were kind of already uh, deeply involved in Moabite culture, so she just decided, you know what, I'm just gonna stay. I'm gonna stay here. Look at verse four. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. You guys are familiar with popular or former TV host Oprah Winfrey. She said that when she was born, her mother wanted to name her after this woman in the Bible, Orpah. But she misspelled her name on the birth certificate, and she's been Oprah Winfrey ever since. Naomi's sons married Ruth and Orpah, and then something even worse happened than that. Both of Naomi's sons died. So it's going from bad to worse for Naomi. They were very close to each other. Uh, They died at a young age, and so there must have been some sort of tragic accident or maybe a, a terrible disease, and all of a sudden, they were both gone in just a very short period of time. Have you ever noticed that grief is not equally dispersed? I mean, there are some people that go through life and it seems as almost nothing bad ever happens to them. And then there are others that it seems like it's just one catastrophe right after another, isn't it? It just hits them left and right. Naomi said in verses 20 and 21, when all this was going down, she said, this is a bitter pill to swallow. I've lost my husband, now my two sons. She said, God has dealt me a a hard blow. And so Naomi decided she'd move back to Bethlehem and try to recover. You know, God had commanded Jewish people in the Bible not to marry the surrounding nations. And I wonder, I just wonder if Naomi questioned whether God was punishing her family for disobeying that command. I'm not saying whether he was or wasn't. I just wonder if Naomi felt that way. Well, her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, they loved her so much that they said, you know what, if you're going to Bethlehem, we're going with you. And as they were heading out of town, Naomi began to have second thoughts. Look at verse 11. It says, but Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? I mean, can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? She's saying, Look, if you go with me to Judea, you're going to be foreigners there. I mean, you girls, you need to stay here in Moab, worship your gods, meet a young man, remarry, build a life here. Go on back home. Well, Orpah cried, but she agreed. She walked away and she went back to Moab, and guess what? We don't read about her again in the scriptures. That's it. But Ruth refused she embraced Naomi and she refused to go home. And Naomi says in verse 15, look, your sister-in-law's gone home to live with her own people. Go with her. In verse 16, but Ruth replied, this is the verse that Tammy read between the two songs. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. No, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people, my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me ever so severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now, some of you may be familiar with that passage because it's often read as, as wedding vows when you go to a wedding. But it's interesting, though, that originally that pledge wasn't made between a bride and a groom, but listen, between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. Now, when you think about that, isn't that an unlikely friendship? I mean, think about how different these two women are. Two different nationalities, probably different dialects, different ages, Initially, they worshiped different gods, and maybe the biggest barrier of all was that they were in-laws, right? I mean, it's not often that a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law become close friends. Oftentimes, they're rivals competing for the attention of the same man. I mean, did anybody here this morning invite your in-laws? Don't raise your hand, okay? Anybody here even speaking to your in-laws? How about that question, right? Ruth and Naomi's friendship is rare. You just don't see that very often for in-laws to be that tight. Here's the first take-home lesson this morning is this. Good friendships can develop between people who are very different from each other. They can. As we get older, we may develop friendships between uh, people who are older than us, people who are a different race than us, Uh, we, people who have different hobbies or different interests than us, different church backgrounds, even, or we even become friends with our parents, believe it or not, kids, right? As you get older. Now, even though parents, you shouldn't try to be a friend to your children too soon. That happens a lot. Children need a parent first and that friendship will develop naturally later in life. But what is it that brought Ruth and Naomi together? It wasn't just that they were female and were relatives that spent time together. But listen, they had experienced the same grief. And you you know, sometimes adversity brings people together, doesn't it? Two people who have been through AA meetings together, Alcoholics Anonymous. Soldiers who have been in combat together. Athletes who have gone through adversity together. Husbands and wives who who have been through the battle, some hard times, are bonded in a deeper way because of adversity. Naomi and Ruth, they had grieved together on at least three separate occasions that we know of, and their friendship was so deep that Ruth said, if you're going to Bethlehem, I'm going with you. Now listen, the population of Bethlehem at that time uh, was estimated to be about 200 people. And so when they arrived in this small town, kind of like our small town, everybody was talking about them. People were whispering, you know, gossiping in one another's ear. In verse 19, he even said, is that that Naomi coming, walking down the road? I mean, she's only been gone 10 years, but gosh, she looks awful. I mean, she's aged. Look at her. She's, She's unhappy. And Naomi agreed. She says, I am Naomi, and you're right. I'm not happy anymore. Naomi's name means pleasant one. But she says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me pleasant one anymore. Call me bitter. Call me bitter one because God has dealt severely with me. I left with a lot of hope and now I return with no sons, no husband, and no belongings. You know, there's another reason why this is a surprising friendship. Most of us want friends who will uplift us, to lift our spirits up, right? Friends who are fun to be around. But Naomi, man, she wasn't very fun to be around at this point. I mean, she could have sucked the life out of that relationship with her negativity and with her bitterness. You got any friends like that? They just suck the life right out of you. They're always negative. They're always bitter, you know. Complain, 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 complain. But Ruth, she was a special young woman. She was a new widow. She needed some encouragement herself, and yet she stood right there by her mother-in-law who by her own admission was bitter. Guys, it's a special friend who will stand by you for a long time when you're depressed, when you're negative, when you're bitter. Proverbs 17, 7, 7, or 17, verse 17, the message paraphrased that verse like this. It says, Friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Well, shortly after they settled in Bethlehem, Ruth said to her mother-in-law, I- I'm going to go get a job. She was a foreigner, but she had some motivation and was going to look for a way to have something to live on. But she didn't really have any noticeable skills, and so she started gathering grain in a field following in the path of the harvesters. Now listen, for this to make sense, you got to understand the Old Testament commanded the Jewish people that when they harvested grain, they were not to go back a second time and rake up the leftovers, They were to leave whatever they missed on the first go-round for the homeless and the poor to scrape up so that they would have something to eat. And so Ruth joins in the back there with these unemployed people walking behind the harvesters, picking up whatever leftover grain she could get and putting it in a small bag. That that would kind of be like today uh, people were walking the highway picking up old pop cans and then going in to redeem them at the store. Now Ruth just happened to be picking grain in a field that belonged to a man named Boaz. He was a kind man, and he was also a relative of Naomi's. Now, listen, some people would say, well, that's a lucky break, or, uh, you know, that's quite a coincidence for Ruth to end up in this field. But hear me, this is what we call a divine appointment, okay? A divine appointment. Listen, there are some things in life that are just coincidences. I get that. I don't think God manipulates everything that happens. But the Bible says that if we acknowledge God in all of our ways, he will direct our paths in Proverbs 3.6. And I think God directed Ruth to work in this very field. It was God. J. Wallace Hamilton tells about a cat that had a kitten in its mouth trying to get across a busy intersection in New York City. And the cat she would she would dart out into the street and she'd have to quickly come back to the curb because she would almost get run over. But a policeman directing traffic saw what was happening and he stopped the traffic in both directions and the cat took the opportunity and ran across the street into an alley. Now that cat had no idea that the power that the hand of the New York City Police Department had gone up to see that she got across the street safely. And guys, please hear me this morning. I think there are many times when the hand of God goes up to direct our path and get us safely into the future where he wants us to be, and it doesn't even cross our minds. But it happens all the time. We just don't think about it. Maybe when you met your spouse. It just seemed like you know, accidental, but it wasn't. It was providential. It was a divine appointment. And it changed your life forever. Maybe you weren't even looking for a job and you bumped into somebody. You, you took advantage of that opportunity. You you thought it was just an accident, but it changed your life. Guys, it wasn't an accident. It was a divine appointment. Listen, maybe it's a divine appointment that you're sitting here this very morning today or maybe you're listening to this podcast wherever you are. You thought that you came here today just because somebody invited you but could it be that God arranged for you to be here this morning to change your life forever and that of your family for generations to come? You ever thought about that? Well, Boaz noticed this special woman working in his field. And you know, maybe he noticed her because she was a stranger or maybe it was because she was a hard worker. But listen, more than likely, the reason that he noticed her was the same reason that most men notice women, right? She was hot. Let's just be straight. She was hot, okay? She was attractive and she caught his eye. You know, the first time that uh, I saw my wife I clicked on her Facebook page, and I read through her profile, and I thought, man, she is so smart. Such a sharp mind. Those old Guinness draft beer commercials, she's brilliant, you know, brilliant. I think I'll ask her out on a date, she's so smart, right? Heck no. I looked at that picture, and I said, man, she's hot, right? I want to get to know her. Y'all sitting there like you're not the same, like, oh, he's carnal, man, he's worldly. Look at, no, you're the same way. I don't wanna hear it. okay? But since I am so carnal, I'm a little bit suspicious of the motives here of Boaz. That's all I'm saying. Let's read about it. Chapter two, verse eight. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. Well, Ruth, she falls to her knees, and she asks in verse 10, Why are you treating me so kindly? I'm just a foreigner. And Boaz said, Well, I've heard about how kind you've been to Naomi, who's a relative of mine. And now Ruth is really impressed. And in verse 13, she says, Sir... "'Such grace and kindness I don't deserve. "'You have touched my heart, treated me like one of your own. "'I don't even belong here.'" Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz called to her, "'Come over here and help yourself to some food. "'You can dip your bread into the sour wine.' "'So she sat with the harvesters, "'and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. "'She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. "'When Ruth went back to work again, "'Boaz ordered his young men Let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some of the heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up, and don't give her a hard time. It sounds like that that Boaz is falling for Ruth big time, doesn't it? Well, that night she goes home with this big old doggy bag full of grain, and she reports to her mother-in-law everything that had happened. Now, Naomi's a a pretty smart woman, and she realizes what's going on here. And you know what? She could have felt threatened, couldn't she? I mean, this woman that's so close to her is now interested in in this man, and if that relationship continues to develop, maybe she'll get less attention, and she'll just kind of be pushed to the side. But here's a second lesson about friendship. True friends give each other space, don't they? True friends give each other space. Real friends are not leeches demanding all of our attention. True friends rejoice when good things happen to us even though they aren't at the center of it all. Let's say that you're invited to an event with a famous person, you know, and you have a good friend say, hanging out with the big timers now, I see, huh? You know, I guess you won't be uh, running around with us losers anymore. Instead of getting excited for you, They are concerned that your relationship with someone well-known will reduce their importance. Well, listen, Naomi, she wasn't like that. Look at Ruth 2.22. She said, good, good. Naomi explained, do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. And in the third chapter, guess what happens? Naomi starts playing Cupid for Ruth and Boaz, matchmaker. Look at chapter three, verse one. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. So Naomi senses that this relationship kind of needs a boost. So maybe it's because Boaz is middle-aged and unmarried and a little shy, I don't know. Maybe she's thinking, you know, Ruth is a foreigner and she's a little bit naive, The message paraphrase says this, said, maybe it's time for us to make our move. But what's impressive here is that Naomi thinks Boaz is a good match, that he's good enough for Ruth. You know, usually nobody's good enough for our children or for those we love, are they? Nobody's good enough. I heard about some women who saw a department store advertisement and it said, department store for available husbands. Okay, So they said, that's great, let's check it out. So they went to the first floor and the sign there read, men available on this floor have good paying jobs. They said, well, that's good. Let's see what they've got on the second floor. They went to the second floor and the sign said, men available here have good paying jobs and are good looking. And they said, that's great. Let's see what's on the third floor. Went to the third floor and the sign said, men available here have good paying jobs are good-looking, and they love children. They said, even better. Let's see what they've got on the next floor. And so they went to the fourth floor. The sign said, men available here have good jobs, are good-looking, love children, and love to do housework. They said, that's wonderful. Let's see what they've got on the fifth floor. They got to the fifth floor, and the sign said this. There are no men available on this floor But this just proves that you cannot please a woman. Oh, no, I did not go there. I did not. That is a masculine joke. I'm sorry, ladies. I really do apologize. I was just being serious, okay? (sighs) Listen, Naomi was trying to help Ruth find a good husband, and she thought Boaz was perfect. And so she gives Ruth some advice on how to get Boaz to take the next step. Look at verses three and four. So tonight's the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor, and she says this. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. And be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. Whoa, Uh, hold your horses, right? Wait just a minute. This is the Bible for crying out loud. I mean, that sounds a little bit forward, don't you think? But listen, it's not if we understand the culture and what Ruth is really doing here. What she's really doing is proposing marriage. There's nothing immoral that happened that night. In fact, in in chapter 3, the second part of verse 11, it says, For everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. See, God instructed in the Bible that if a husband died childless, the husband's brother or the closest relative was to marry the widow, have children with her so that the brother's name could carry on. That next of kin was called the kinsman redeemer. And so Naomi takes, uh, or Naomi's advice to Ruth was not encouraging her to have sexual relations, but she's inviting Boaz to take her as his bride. And Ruth told Naomi in verse five, I'll do whatever you say. Lesson number three. Good friends value the counsel and respect the advice that is given good friends value the counsel and respect the advice that is given. You know, sometimes when we have an important decision to make and we don't know what to do, our friends can see the situation maybe from a different angle than you and I can. Now listen, we shouldn't do everything that our friends suggest. We need to think for ourselves. Ruth didn't take the counsel of Naomi when she told her to stay in Moab, did she? But wise people, Listen to the counsel of those who love them, even though, listen, even though it may not be what they want to hear. And listen, they pay especially close attention when the counsel comes from several good friends. Guys, listen, if your closest friends are saying, don't marry that guy, don't get involved in business with him, he's not trustworthy, or I would forgive her. That's what I would do. Or you know what? I would go for it. Be wise enough to listen regardless of how you feel. Regardless of how you feel, listen. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. plans go wrong, why? For a lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. That's the word of God. So, what happened? Ruth did exactly as Naomi advised. Boaz celebrated the harvest, had a good time, laid down, went to sleep, and then Ruth laid down in the middle of the night to signal her availability for marriage. Look at it in verse 8 of chapter 3. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and he turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. (laughs) The Lord bless you, my daughter. Yeah, boy, I'd say so, right? The Lord bless you, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. So Boaz is excited. He's delighted. He's fired up that Ruth is interested in him, an older man. And so Boaz says in verses 11 through 13, he says, I'd love to marry you. Everybody in town knows what a great woman you are, but there's a snag. You see, I'm a relative, but there's a closer relative to you than I am. And by our custom, he's got the right to marry you first. So listen, here's what I do. First thing in the morning, he says, I'll find out if he's interested. And if he is, (sighs) nothing I can do. But if he's not, if he's not, as surely as there is a God in heaven, I will marry you. Look at verse 14. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. This is romantic. He's protecting her. Verse 16, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, 'What what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, okay? My daughter, that's not what the Bible said, but I'm sure it went something like that, okay? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. In verse 18, then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. This man will not rest until he has settled things today. She knows he's hooked. She knows. Well, guess what? The next morning, Boaz heads straight to the public square. He waited for his relative, and when he arrived, Boaz, he's he's a smart guy. He was very strategic in his approach. He didn't say, you lucky dog, there is a gorgeous woman that you can marry, and I'd like to marry her if you don't. Nope, that's not what he said. Look at it. He said this. He said, you remember our relative Elimelech that died out of town a while back, don't you? Yeah. Well, his widow Naomi's living with us, and she had a piece of property she'd like to sell, and I'd kind of like to have it if you don't want it, but you're the next of kin. The guy said, I think I'd like to have it. Boaz said, well, there is a little catch. Uh, it's kind of a package deal. You know, he, she has this daughter-in-law who's also a widow, you know, and whoever buys the property has to marry that woman too, and she's childless, so you'll have to have children and provide for those children and all, you know. But she is nice and has a good personality, okay? Is she pretty? She's nice and got a great personality. That's not in the Bible either, but I'm sure it's in there. I'm sure that's what was said, okay? Something like that. Let's look at what was in the Bible. Chapter 4, verse 6. It says, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. Now, you redeem the land. I can't do it. And Boaz said, well, all righty then. I guess I could. Okay. So he quickly made it official to the town council. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. Can you imagine Boaz trying to get his shoe off? I mean, he couldn't get that sandal off his foot quick enough to make this official and seal the deal. In the end of the book, it reads kind of like a fairy tale. In verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. You know, the Bible says that weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Ruth had done a lot of weeping, but now there's the joy of being loved, getting married, having a child, being secure in the hand of God, And guess what? Nobody was happier for her than Naomi. Look at verse 14. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Here's one final lesson. Good friends rejoice with those who rejoice. Naomi had cried with Ruth in her grief, and now she rejoices with her in her celebration. You know, one of the indications whether you are a good friend or not is just to ask yourself, can I rejoice with those who rejoice? You've got a friend who strikes it rich, and you're poor. You have a friend who gets engaged, and you're still single. Uh, you've got a friend who's expecting a baby, and you don't have one. You, you've got a friend whose child is brilliant, and your child has learning disabilities. You, you've got a friend who's a Las Vegas Raiders fan, and you've got one who's sadly wearing orange and blue Chicago Bears jersey still, okay? Sorry, I wrote that when I thought Dave was going to be here. He's not. He'll hear that on the podcast. Can you rejoice? with other people who have been blessed. You know, sometimes I hear of other pastors in our county talking negatively about our church from their pulpits. And they take shots at Dave or myself or assuming that we don't teach the Bible and so on here. And those of you who have been here for any length of time whatsoever, you know that's not true. The truth is we don't have anything to say other than God's word in the Bible. So some people, not not all, but some people just can't rejoice when they hear about the good things that God is doing around here at our church because they want people to be involved in in their club of religious rules rather than experience the true grace and freedom that comes from knowing Jesus that God's given us. And they choose to be what I call modern-day Pharisees Self-righteous saints. And when, when we read through the New Testament, you know, we find that those are the very people that Jesus butted heads with when he walked on this earth for 33 years. But you know, other people you talk to will smile and they'll say things like, you know, people don't even go here I'm talking about. They'll say, I'm so glad Three Strands is keeping the main thing the main thing. I mean, it's so refreshing to see God using your church in this county to change people's lives for the better to hear stories of how God has rescued so many people and how Jesus is setting people free and they rejoice with us. Guys, those are special friends. Those are are special friends. Naomi rejoiced with Ruth when she got married and had children, even though she was widowed and childless, and God blessed her for that. Look at verse 16, we'll close. It says, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. That's right, King David. You see, this whole story is an incredible illustration of God's grace. Do you know where the people of Moab came from? Well, back in Genesis 19, when Lot fled Sodom, his two daughters got their father drunk, and he got them pregnant. And out of that incestual relationship came a son named Moab. And out of that horrible beginning came Ruth, the mother of Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David, The ancestor, listen, of a little baby born in Bethlehem named Jesus. Do you know what else that tells us? Listen, it tells us that it doesn't matter what your past has been like or where you've come from or how evil that you've been, that God still cares about us and he wants to include us in his kingdom that Jesus came as our kinsman redeemer when we were poor and when we were a foreigner to him. And he paid the redemption price to adopt us into his family, to take us as his bride. And he chooses us to be part of his family and is willing to redeem us. But listen, the rest is up to us. The rest is up to us. Guys, please hear me. God has taken 99 steps towards you. All you have to do is take the last one towards him. And so can I just challenge you this morning that if you understand that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for your sins on the cross and that he rose from the dead, and if you're willing to accept him as your savior, as your Lord, the boss of your life, And as our series says, as your best friend, why don't you do that today? Don't put it off. You don't have to walk down some church aisle. You don't have to pray some magical prayer. You don't have to get all emotional. But just tell him that you believe and that you want to begin a relationship with him today. Guys, he'll be the best friend that you'll ever have. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for that little baby born in Bethlehem. And God, I thank you for when he grew up and and walked on this earth for 33 years that he decided to lay his life down for me and for everybody in this room. That he loved us so much that he would rather die for us than to live without us. God, I pray that would grip the heart of the people in this room today. That we don't have to keep on doing life by ourselves. That we have a kinsman redeemer, a God who loves us more than we love ourselves, and He gave up His very life for us so that we could live forever with Him. Father, I pray that if there's people in the room today that don't know you, today would be the day of salvation. They would just humble themselves, step on their pride, and say, God, I want to know you. I want you to be my best friend, my Lord and Savior. Would you do that today? We ask in the name of Jesus.